How do you avoid unrelated business income taxes? Hey everyone, Adam Bergman here, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. On today's Adam Talks, going to be talking about, based off a request from a special client who said, Adam, can you do one Adam Talks on UBIT? It drives me crazy. It's such a complicated area. I know you've done blogs and you've done some other podcasts, but I listen to Adam Talks every week. Do you mind just doing one on how people who have self-directed IRAs can avoid this four-letter, four-letter, I should say, ugly word, UBIT? So I said, of course, your wish is my command. So on today's episode, how you can avoid the unrelated business income tax if you are an IRA or 401k investor. So this is going to be somewhat technical, but I will keep it fun and simple. Um, at least I'll do the best I can um, so that everyone comes away from this podcast, totally understanding how the unrelated business income tax works. So let me start at the beginning. Um, let's go all the way back into about the 1950s. And when the unrelated business income tax rules um, were coded and became law. And just when you're thinking about the unrelated business income taxes, this is the history is a good way of understanding it. So what was the point of these rules? The point of these rules is that Congress did not want companies like McDonald's to set up charities and just run their business through a charity and never, ever, ever pay tax. So they set these rules up to say, hey, if you're a tax exempt, a charity, a 501, and you have income that's unrelated to your exempt purpose, i.e. you are a hospital and you sell donuts, or you are a school and you sell, I don't know, um, t-shirts, um, that income could be exempt. It could be unrelated to your exempt purpose, and therefore we should tax it because that would be the only way we can stop companies from setting up charities, running their business through charities, and never ever paying federal income tax. So that's what those rules essentially are intended to do. And they can be found under a section 512, 513, and 514 Internal Revenue Code. And essentially, that is the heart of the provision. Okay. It is there to stop tax exempts like charities from generating unrelated activity and not paying tax on it. So the unrelated income tax follows the trust tax rates, which have the highest maximum tax rate of 37%, but the threshold for getting to 37% is quite low. So once you're at approximately 20,000 bucks or so of net income, you're going to hit the max rate, which you know, is a very, very low threshold considering if you are an income taxpayer, you're not going to hit that rate till you're making you know, almost $500,000 or so. So a very, very low threshold. So what are the types of income that are exempt from UBIT? It's basically all the passive forms of income, like dividends, interest, royalties, rental income, and capital gains. So that's why most investors, most retirement account investors, never have to deal with UBIT. Because let's say 90 to 95% of retirement accounts are invested in equities, whether it's mutual funds, ETFs, or stocks. So almost all publicly traded companies 
are C-corporations. So think of a C-corp as a big box, right? It has a corporate level tax. And then there's a shareholder level tax. So there's two levels of taxes. So the UBIT tax does not need to apply to the corporate level because there's already a corporate level tax. So there's no need to impose the UBIT tax on a C-corp. So that's why you, know, you and me, before we got into the self-directed retirement world, never heard of UBIT. You know, if you go and talk to sophisticated investors that are in the financial world, they probably have never heard of UBIT or UBTI or unrelated business income tax because it really doesn't apply if you're just doing traditional investments. And when I mean traditional investments, I mean stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, okay? So how does it get triggered? So number one, you need to be tax exempt. So we know charities are tax exempt under 501. We also know, or we should know that IRAs and 401ks are also treated as tax exempt trusts under 501. Now they have different intentions than a charity, right? Their exempt purpose is different than a charity. An IRA is different than the Red Cross, but they're taxed the same. They're both tax exempt. Now the rules pertaining to IRAs can be found in section 408 and the rules pertaining to 401ks can be found on, in section 401. But from a tax foundation standpoint, they're both treated as tax exempts, just like a charity. Therefore, when IRAs and 401ks were created in 1974 by ERISA, they, just by becoming tax exempts and being treated as tax exempt trusts under 501, are now subject or became subject to the unrelated business income tax. The only difference is IRAs and 401ks do not have an exempt purpose, right? Whatever the IRA does, it's intention is to grow and generate income or gains. Whereas a charity like the Red Cross has an exempt purpose. So that means that essentially anything the IRA does could be deemed unrelated to its exempt purpose. Or on the flip side, some people would argue that nothing should be deemed unrelated to its exempt purpose because its purpose is to make money. So it shouldn't be even tied into these UBIT rules. I kind of agree with the latter. I really don't think IRAs and 401ks should be subject to UBIT. And we'll get into some of the purposes of UBIT and how, how it gets triggered. Um, so that's something if, if I uh, was able to wave a magic wand or, or had some power in Congress or was on the Ways and Means Committee, I would push for IRAs and 401ks and not be subject to UBIT because they don't have an exempt purpose. It's not like a charity. So like the Red Cross. So whatever the, the only exempt purpose the IRA has is to make money. So it should be given the flexibility to make investments in the widest range possible in order to maximize its returns. But we're stuck with the UBIT rule. So let's start with IRA and 401k investors. How does UBIT get triggered? Three ways. Use margin of buy stock. Two, non-recourse loan to buy real estate. There is an exemption for 401ks under 514c9. And thirdly, if an IRA or 401k invests in an active trader business that's operated through a pass-through entity like an LLC, okay? Remember I said, C-Corps have their own entity-level tax. So there's no reason to impose the UBIT tax at the corporate level because there's already a corporate-level tax. However, LLCs are flow-throughs. They don't have an entity-level tax. There's only one level of tax with an LLC. It's the member level or the shareholder level. So 
by that purpose, there is seemingly a need to impose a tax at the entity level. And that's where the UBIT tax pops in. So again, just to summarize, only three ways UBIT gets triggered. Marginal by stock, non-recourse loan by real estate in an IRA, there's an exemption for 401ks. I mentioned non-recourse because Internal Revenue Code section 4975 does not allow you to personally guarantee an obligation of your IRA. That's deemed a prohibited transaction. That's why the loan must be non-recourse. And then thirdly, you invest in an active trader business, like a restaurant or a hotel that's operated through a pass-through entity like an LLC partnership, not a C-Corp. Remember, C-Corp will block UBIT and the UBIT tax will not apply to C-Corps. So how do you get around UBIT, right? That's the whole point of this podcast. Probably like, Adam, get to the point already. I've already listened to you for a couple of minutes. Um, how, do, how do I get around this thing? So a couple of ways. Number one, set up a C-Corp, right? Um, we know C-Corps are not subject to UBIT. So if you want to invest in an active business like a restaurant, um, or you're going to invest in a investment fund or an enterprise that has leverage, you can always set up a C-Corp. Now, it sounds easy and sounds great. What's the downside? Tax. Corporations now pay 22% maximum tax rate. It certainly could go up. Um, the Democrats tried to increase it. In the past, the Biden administration is still keen on increasing corporate tax. Even um, you know, Senator Manchin has said he would be okay with that. So it's possible corporate level tax can go up, even in light of a potential economic downturn and, and inflation, it's still possible. So 22% is still 22%. It's still 22% more than you would pay if you um, just bought stocks or you invested in a transaction without UBIT. So the C-Corp is the most common way to block UBIT. A lot of large pension funds or a lot of large investment funds that want IRA investors, credit investor, IRA investors to invest, will set up either a foreign blocker. So they'll have you go in through a Cayman corporation. Some will set up a US blocker, but it's more common to set up a foreign blocker. Why? Because Cayman Islands has no corporate level tax and IRAs don't pay tax. So generally your IRA needs to be an accredited investor in order to do you know, various private placement or investment fund investments. Who's an accredited investor? It's an individual that makes more than $300,000 if they're married, filed jointly for consecutive years or has a net worth above a million dollars, not including primary residence. Um, so if you are deemed a credit investor and you wanna invest in a big hedge fund, private equity fund, venture capital fund, who will have UBIT or will trigger UBIT, why? Because either they're gonna use leverage, right? Every hedge fund in the world uses leverage. A lot of private equity funds use leverage. And a lot of private equity and venture capital firms will invest in portfolio companies that may be LLCs. So in that case, it could trigger the UBIT. Plus they'll, they'll also probably use debt as well, at least private equity firms. So you would invest through a, a foreign blocker like a Cayman Corp, and then the Cayman Corp would invest in the US fund. So that's one way uh, of getting around UBIT. Um, there's potential some issues with holding taxes um, from the US Corp to the Cayman Corp, but that's a topic for another podcast. But generally, the blocker is the most common. Uh, I've had clients do it in the US where they're buying real estate with leverage or they're going to invest in, in a US business. And they say, well, 22% is less than 37%. It's not ideal. I'd rather pay zero, but 22% is still better than 37%. Therefore, I will set up a C Corp 
On top of that, some states do impose state-level corporate tax. So you have to keep that in mind as well. Um, number two, how, how else can you get around UBIT? Um, you can structure investment as a in debt versus equity investment. So what's a debt investment? Debt investment is a loan. So if you lend company X money and they give you a stated rate of return plus principal, interest, as I mentioned, is not subject to UBIT. So if you are a lender and you lend money to a borrower, the interest and principal you receive back as part of the loan is not subject to UBIT. What's the downside? The downside is you are only able to receive and generate the interest on the note. That is your maximum upside. Whereas if you invested in a startup or a business, things got really good and valuations got goofy and wacky like they have been in the last two years, you may have been able to make 10, 15, 50, even 500%. Whereas with a loan, you're capped at the interest rate. So some people don't really want to structure their investments. Some IRA investors are not keen on structuring the investment as debt versus equity because they are not going to be able to capitalize on the upside of the investment. So that generally is not really an interesting option for them. What else can you do? Well, if you're a real estate investor and you want to use leverage to buy real estate, you could set up a 401k. Now, who can set up a 401k? You have to be, if you, assuming you have no employees, you have to satisfy two eligibility requirements under the 401k rules. Number one, you got to be a business. So that's not going to be that hard. You can say I'm in the real estate business. Number two, you need to have no full-time employees other than the owners of their spouses. And a full-time employee is someone who works more than a thousand hours, non-owner, non-spouse. So if you have any business, you can sell widgets, you can provide services, anything. It just has to have some anticipation of, of revenue. The intent needs to be to generate some type of income. You don't have to have a billion dollar business. In fact, you don't even have to have any income. It just needs to be the anticipation or the intent to derive income or gains from the business activity. If you can satisfy those requirements, you can therefore set up a solo 401k plan, roll your IRA funds tax-free into the 401k. 401k can buy the real estate and you can use leverage. It has to be a non-recourse loan, but you're not going to trigger UBIT. So for real estate investors, the 401k is, is certainly the ideal um, structure um, and certainly more... Um, I would say, you know, definitely uh, more tax advantageous than the IRA, especially if you're using leverage. Now, the 401k is not going to help you block UBIT if you're investing in an active business or a fund that is not buying real estate, because the exemption under 514c9 for leverage in a 401k only applies to real estate acquisition and deadness. It doesn't apply to just leverage to uh, buy uh, stocks or, or other types of trading. Um, solutions or trading activity. So it's really just for real estate acquisition and deadness. So just be cautious of that. But UBIT's tough. I can't tell you how many times uh, I speak to people who've used other companies um, and said, Adam, I, I saw one of your videos or I read one of your blogs, saw a podcast, listened to a podcast. And I just did this real estate deal four years ago, three years ago. And uh, holy cow, I, I never even knew about UBIT. I never filed the 990T, which is the form that needs to be filed to report the UBIT. In fact, I had no idea there was even leverage. 
So this is generally how I address those questions. Number one, I said, well, if you didn't know about it, the IRS is not going to know about it. So you're probably okay in terms of statute limitations, which is generally three years. Um, how is UBIT reported if you're an investor? If you're an IRA investor or a 401k investor in a fund or a private placement, in a pass-through entity, how is it reported? It's generally reported on a K-1, and there's a specific code um, for UBIT, which if the code doesn't is not on the form and there's no number that is represented by that code, which is, I believe, V, um, then you're not going to know, right? How are you supposed to know there's leverage, right? If the, if the fund manager is not reporting to you, how are you going to know? And then how is the IRS going to know if it's not on the K-1? So in many, many cases, it goes unreported because the IRS investor is not even aware that UBIT exists. But if it's just you, if you if your 401k or IRA bought the home, let's say your IRA bought the home, put in 100K, borrowed 100K non-recurse from a bank, you know, it, you can't argue, you can't use the excuse, I didn't know about it, there was no K-1 because you're the manager of the LLC or, the, or at least the trustee of the plan or the um, IRA owner. So in that case, again, it, it's something that you should report if there's more than $1,000 in net income. So this is the rule for 990T. If you have less than $1,000 in net income, including expenses depreciation, you don't have to report the UBIT. If it's more than a thousand bucks, you have to report it on a 990T. Now, the good news is you can take into account your pro rata share, depreciation, deductions, and other expenses. On top of that, if you have losses from prior years, you can carry them forward and use them to offset gains. UBIT sounds horrible, and in some cases it is, but in other cases, it's actually minimized. And how's that? Well, it's minimized because for a lot of real estate investors, the way real estate generally materializes is there's lots of losses up front, okay? Because there's lots of depreciation, lots of deductions, lots of expenses, whether it's improvements, buildouts, whatever it is, there's lots of losses up front. So there's generally not net income. So if there's no net income of over a thousand bucks, there's no UBIT. Plus you can use those losses to offset any future UBIT. The only problem is if there's a loan is still outstanding within 12 months of the sale, a capital gain sale of that real estate could still trigger UBIT. So that is the wrinkle that you need to think about. So you may be able to, on an annual basis, really minimize or reduce UBIT because of the net losses or the low net income. But if you want to sell that building and a loan is still outstanding, the UBIT could be um, triggered by, on a capital gains transaction. Now, this could be uh, removed if you have it in a 401k, but if it's an IRA, it's not. Now, that's only with leverage. If it's an active trader business, again, a lot of startups, um, even some private equity funds, there's no distributions until there's a capital event. So if there's no leverage, so let's say you're investing in a startup, there's no leverage, there's losses, 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 and then in year five, someone comes out and buys the company, the sale of the membership units is capital gains, and it's not subject to UBIT because there's no leverage in the business, okay? But if there was leverage, then even if it was a capital gain, it still could be subject to UBIT. So there is some complications when you're investing in pass-through businesses. If they don't have leverage, you may be able to skirt the UBIT taxes on a capital gain sale. Um, if there's leverage in the business, maybe not. This is why it's so important to work um, with, with a company like IRA Financial that has the expertise that can help you navigate these rules. 
listen, sometimes it may be better off not to do the investment in the IRA, right? You may be able to do it with personal funds and actually be in a better tax position because of UBIT. UBIT could impose a 37% tax on income that potentially could be tax deferred or tax free if it was invested in another type of investment. So it's, it's better to know this upfront. That's why I'm happy I'm doing this podcast. I've talked a lot about UBIT, you know, in the eight books I've written, I probably mentioned UBIT in every book. Um, same with blogs and podcasts. Uh, I don't love kind of confusing people upfront, um, but it's important that people have information at hand before they engage in an investment so they can make a wise decision because once the investment is done, it's much harder to back out of it than restructure once you're planning on doing it or before the transactions actually materialize, whether it's using a blocker, whether it's debt, whether it's um, structuring it differently, whether it's maybe getting into a solo K versus an IRA if there's leverage, or maybe it's just deciding not to do it and do that investment with personal funds and then taking your IRA and, and doing other things with it. So it's better, as I mentioned, to plan uh, ahead. That's something you know my wife always tells me, be patient, take your time, plan, think about it, and then execute. So um, that's hopefully if you take away anything from this, take away that, that if you're doing an investment, um, obviously you need to do your research, do your diligence, make sure you're, you're comfortable with it. Also, if there's going to be leverage or there's an investment in a pass-through business, you should be thinking UBIT, UBTI in your head. Now, a lot of people say, well, what's UDFI? So unrelated debt finance income is section 514, which is the real estate acquisition. That just means it triggers the UBIT tax. So unrelated debt finance income is just income that trigger is triggered by the UBIT tax. It's really all the same thing. Some people get caught up in, in the acronyms and the different um, definitions of unrelated business taxable income, unrelated debt finance income. Just know this, if you use marginal by stock, non-recourse loan by real estate in an IRA, or you invest in an active trader business that operates through a pass-through entity like an LLC partnership, then you could be subject to UBIT on income over a thousand bucks. What about S-Corps? S-Corps are pass-through. The problem with S-Corps is an IRA cannot invest in an S-Corp. That's not an IRA rule. That is a S-Corp rule. Only individuals can be shareholders, uh, a 401k could technically be a shareholder, a single member LLC could technically be a shareholder, but not an IRA. So that's why IRAs don't invest in S-Corps. If they do, they'll blow the S election and the S-Corp will then become a C-Corp. So that's it. I, I hope um, I didn't scare people away from doing self-direct investments. Again, this only pops up in very specific investments, but again, full disclosure, it's better to know upfront and, and then you can plan. Give us a call if you have questions. If you're a client of IRA Financial, then definitely use our compliance department. We are here to help. If you are thinking of doing an IRA, let us know. We'd love to talk you through the UBIT rules. And, and we'll be honest, if it doesn't work out, if the investment just doesn't make sense using retirement account, we're going to tell you that. We're going to say, you know what? 37% tax is a killer. Don't do it. Just use personal funds. Or we may have ways to minimize it um, you know, based off our uh, experience and based off you know, the facts you're transaction. So um, there you go. That is the unrelated business income tax rules. And uh, now you know. So thanks for uh, listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. And uh, other than that, check us out again next week. This is a weekly podcast that drops every Wednesday. 
If you have questions, comments, or even criticisms of the podcast, let me know. You can email at info at IRA Financial. Just hit, up, hit us up on social media uh, at IRA Financial. Otherwise, um, have a great day and talk to everyone again soon. Take care.